Amen. Good morning. How many of you agree with Pastor Tim that he's Lord? How many of you would call him Lord? Well, Tim did. Jesus is Lord. Oh, did I say Tim? Oh, <laughs> he is not. <laughs> he is my boss, but he is not Lord. Okay. Well, if you've called him Lord, then you need to do what he says. Or he's not Lord. And you can talk it, and you can act like you're walking it, and you can hide it. But if he is not Lord in your heart, he is not Lord. And you need to quit lying to yourself and lying to others. And I have to do the same. So I include myself in all of my exhortations. So I got up here this morning with my notes and opened them. I usually print them on Sunday morning. I opened them up and realized that we have moved one more notch in the reading glass department and had to go print another set. <laughs> They're a little bit larger, but it could always be worse. And so um, today we're going to talk about contending for community. And in the past uh, few months, we've been covering a whole a series on what to wear, and I'm sure half of you can probably quote it, but a quick recap of the series uh, is equipping us to walk in compassion, kindness, humility, long-suffering, forgiving one another, and above all, putting on love, which binds them, and we finished that last week, uh, but there's a purpose for that. It's not just for us to walk that way. It's so that we can have deep, meaningful relationships and walk in community. And if you, go down, if you continue down two verses where, from where we stopped, it says, let the, this is Colossians 3, 15 to 16. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. The purpose was to prepare you to fellowship with others and encourage them with teaching in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs so that you're building up each other. Because it's so easy. The problem that I see now, this is my opinion, it is not the opinion of necessarily everybody in the church, but is a lack of, we don't have community like we used to have, which is understandable with what's going on. And we have all kinds of arguments and disagreements in the church. Uh, I think Kevin's mentioned this, and it's come from the pulpit more than once, that we bicker online, and then we come to church and act like it's okay. And... Uh, just so you know, it's not okay. You've heard that. I will confirm that it is not okay. And so because we have a lack of community, we, we don't honor and love each other the way we're supposed to. I'm not talking about friendships. I'm talking about community. Tim Keller wrote an article. I'm not sure exactly when it was out. I didn't catch the date. Uh, it was in the New York Times entitled, How Do Christians Fit Into a Two-Party System? And then he said, they don't. And of course, it didn't take long for the reformed group out of Charlotte to condemn him and put up an article saying four reasons why he was theologically unsound. 
Uh, I wouldn't encourage you that you read that. The article is very well written. It's an easy read. You can find it. Just look up Tim Keller, New York Times, uh, two-party system, and you can find it pretty easy. But true Christian community is above all this stuff. True community. I'm not talking about Christianity, how we walk it out. I'm talking about true community is above everything. It's above all politics. It's above all race issues. It's above all everything. COVID. The kingdom community of believers is supposed to be overarching everything with their presence, not with their mouth. I guess you can use your mouth. But when, we first, when I first started coming, Lori and I did, to New Life, uh, I think we had three services a week. We had a home group. We had special events. And we were here all the time. And every Sunday, matter of fact, I almost got my own parking spot at one point because <laughs> I was here so much, or had my mail switched to here. Um, but Sunday after, after church, we would leave with three other couples. We would go to somebody's house. We would have lunch. We'd talk about the message. We'd talk about the Lord. We'd talk about family. We hung out. And we did that almost every week. And that was our community. And it went way beyond friendship. It went to a connection that we still maintain to this day, although not as closely because everyone's scattered all over the place. But it's still deep in here. And um, they contributed so much to my life because you got to, to bounce it off of each other. You got to talk about it. You got to just live it without any reservations. And I realized that was an old time, and I'm not trying to say we need to go back to the 80s, except for the clothes, maybe. <laughs> and it got to be so close that, that we actually became a community without trying. And it was a real blessing. Then, of course, we went to YWAM in the 90s. Carol got tired of us and sent us away. And we lived in a community setting with 200 other missionaries plus schools. And I always love it when a new school comes here because they're all excited the first week. And then by week five, they're so sick of each other. Because in YWAM, it's forced community. You live together, eat together, work together, you're together. I mean, I would actually at some time sit in my closet, real closet, and shut the door just to get away. But it was community. And it, was, it forced us to walk out the teachings of Christ because we couldn't go home and forget it. It was in your face 24-7. And there wasn't any escape. But then about 2000, I realized things began to change. We had, you know, the whole Y2K started it, and it just seems like things have unraveled since then. Cell phones, and we've made it really easy to communicate. And the world has become smaller, and your choices are now endless. You can, you can pretty much watch something in any country of the world, anywhere. And then the internet, of course, has exploded. And the problem is, here, here's the problem. Social media gives you a connection. I mean, it gives you a contact, but it doesn't give you a connection. And I get to run in and out of your life whenever I feel like it, with no commitment. I can just do, say, do whatever I want to do online, and then go back to whatever I was doing. But there's no connection. And then, of course, COVID pushed us apart even, even farther. 
And you know, uh, my, the issue I'm having now, just as a person who loves people, I really do love people, they're getting comfortable being separate. And the, 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 we have to start co contending for community. And you can say, well, we can't gather in groups. Well, you can in tens. And you can distance. And you can wear masks. And contending is not just sitting back and letting it happen. Contending is working for it. Because you do work for everything you value. Guarantee it. If you don't value it, you won't work for it. I couldn't get my kids to cut the lawn unless I tempted them with money. Then they would cut the lawn. And, and because people are getting comfortable with um, being alone, we can be a very, very diverse church that's disengaged. We can have 50 ethnic and nationalities in this congregation and never talk or connect. Not that you can ever connect with everybody in a church. I'm not suggesting you're going to have a community of 600 people. But there is a group that you need to connect with that goes much deeper than just being friends on Sunday. And they are with you, and it's your community because the community that God builds will overcome everything. I mean, you get your courage from your community. You get your, your faith gets built with your community. You have testimonies. Your love grows because you can't hate somebody you're praying for and with all the time. You can't even misread a text. If I get a text from Pastor Tim, it doesn't matter what it says. I know his heart. I'm with him every day, all day. Well, some, I mean, sometimes we split, but, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. It's the connection. And the more weeks we're together, the deeper the connection goes. And the less fearful I have to be of protecting myself or wondering what he's thinking. And we all need that. Do you know how suspicious we are right now as a country? We're suspicious of everything. I mean, if I see, I saw a police car um, driving. Well, I see them often, but they're not with their lights on. I just see them. And you know what I was thinking? This was, uh, I think, Friday. You know what my first thought was? I wonder if he's worried that I'm behind him. I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder what, if he's looking in his mirror going, who's the guy behind me? I mean, you see the news. It's destroying us because we're not digging into biblical community. We've gone to partisan politics. We've gone to group identities. We've gone to cancel culture. And the church has fallen right into it. We're, we're complicit in it because we're not standing against it. I'm not saying we, not like some of you aren't. Or <coughs> and the way we're living now does not allow for biblical community. And we're going to have to step it up. Not that you guys haven't. I know you have. So let's, first off, let's define community. And I stole this from our, our local YWAM Facebook post of about four or five days ago. I forgot to tell Andy if he's here, I'm sorry. But I did give you credit. <laughs> okay? A group of people who will have your back, who will fight your battles with you, and will celebrate the victories along the way. 
no matter how small they might seem. A safe place to grow, to make mistakes and learn, and to be challenged to become all that you were created to be, not on your own strength, but by the grace of God. A bunch of people who, from many different backgrounds and places coming together to run hard after Jesus and living to see the Great Commission fulfilled. A family army, because that's who God has created us to be. So our community is first and foremost connected to God and his kingdom. And from that, we establish biblical, true community amongst ourselves. All right, and Acts 2 gives us a really good picture of uh, Christian community, so I'm going to read this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's what biblical community looks like. It's not just coming together for coffee. It's sharing in what God is doing in your life, what he's doing in their lives, praying together, being together, loving each other in a way that you cannot do without the Holy Spirit. And the more you do that, the more insulated you'll be from the influence of the world. It will not be able to penetrate. You're up here now. Or in the upside-down triangle, you're down here now where you're safe, serving, and not needing to be served. And let's get some takeaways from this. Verse 42, full devotion to Jesus, techniques, or teachings, not techniques, uh, through the apostles and hospitality. Verse 43, anticipation of the supernatural work of God. 44 and 45, committed to one another's needs and generous. And 46, laughter and fellowship. That's what we need to be doing together. We were created for a relationship. Starting in Genesis, God said, let us make man, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, 28. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. My primary relationship is with God. And he wants it even more than we do. I mean, he knows all your junk, and he still likes you. He's doing better than so many of us. Because I know some of your junk, and I'm not even sure anymore. <laughs> Won't you listen to these couple verses? Every time I read this one, it just it hits. Jeremiah 9:24. Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth for in these things I delight declares the Lord so we should be boasting to each other that we know and understand the Lord I know him I understand him as much as he's given me understanding 
It's awesome. He rules in righteousness and holiness. Do you know there's a verse in the Bible that says we're not even to talk about what evil people do in private? Because it pulls you down. It's not that it's not true. It's your attention goes to that instead of the fact that you know God and understand him. And he rules the earth. And if you focus on that, your community level will stay here. And I've talked to several people here who have experienced true community, and they're longing for it. But because of the, the way the world is, we don't know how to get it yet. But we're getting there. And we do it by building strong relationships. And then down in Jeremiah 24, he says, the primary relationship is you, or no, he didn't say that. He desires intimacy and closeness. Jeremiah 24, 7, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. He gave you, or will give you, a heart to know him. You don't have to work at it. He will change your heart to actually know him and understand him. And then your heart will start to break for the things that break his and a thought for myself should be way down the ladder on importance. He gives us the heart. Can you imagine? He wants a relationship with you. He says, well, they're kind of knuckleheads. I better fix their heart. So I'm going to give them a new heart so they can get to know who I am. And then they can brag on me that they know me. Again, we've done nothing really to enhance this relationship. And I got a, a newsletter when I was telling Pastor Carol. I got a newsletter last week. And it said, in the first couple sentences, it said, we were blindsided. It was a ministry talking about the hardships they're going through. And that, the, that sentence just blew up on, in me. You know, it was just, I was like, I don't remember one time Jesus was blindsided. So why can, how can you be blindsided? And, I, and I, the Lord reminded me during Y2K, of course, we were praying every day because we knew every plane was going to crash and every bank collapse and all my tens of dollars were going to disappear. <laughs> I was in YWAM, you know, that's the way it was. <laughs> and I, so I prayed more than I ever had for anything. And all I remember him ever saying is, relax, it's not going to be anything. And um, so I would go back to my leadership, and I'm saying, I don't think it's going to be anything. And they're like, yeah, I don't either. So we, we bought like five water barrels and like a bucket of wheat so we could say we were ready. Because, <laughs> you know, we had parents calling all the time. Yeah, yeah, we got supplies. <laughs> but the thing was, we knew. You may not know all the details, but if you're, if you're intimate with him and close to him, he will tell you what's coming. It's not going to be a huge secret. We all knew something was coming this year. Unfortunately, a lot of us ran to YouTube to find out what it was instead of to the Lord. And I did it too. And every, if I didn't like this particular prophet because I didn't like what he said, I went and found one I liked because that made me feel better. You know, I mean, we do it. There's no sense lying about it. And that just makes it worse. Don't lie. 
And I'll know what's coming to the depth I know him because he will prepare me for that. He will, he will establish everything I need to do to be ready. I'm his kid. He's not put me here to punish me and bash me in the head and then try to tell me how big he is. You know, like some of our earthly authorities do. You know who's in charge? <laughs> he doesn't do that. He's like, I want to talk to you. And we say no. Or I do. Quit trying to come up with a way to live incorporating what's going on out there into your life in here. Because we're doing it all the time. We, we pull, we, we hear the news, and we drag that into our Christianity. And then wonder why we, we've got this muddled, non-committal, blah, existence. I take, we don't bring anything from there in here. We take everything from in here, in the Bible, in the Word, out there. That's where you change things. You're not going to change anything in here. He'll change you in here if he needs to. But out there is where they need us. And if we're not functioning as the true body of Christ in community, so they understand what it looks like to have compassion, real compassion, real kindness, real love, meet the needs of others, sacrifice, go to the least, visit the widows and orphans, go to the prisons. If we don't do that, we're just a club that has a different set of rules. First John 1 John 1.7 If we walk in the light I'm going to read faster now because I'm as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay? If you walk in the light like he is in the light, not in the light that you have, in the light that he has, then you will have fellowship with one another, not friendship. They're different. Some, somebody has said, and I'm glad it wasn't me, they said fellowship is two fellows in one ship. <laughs> I'm really glad I didn't say that one. But it's a natural outflow of walking in light. You can't stop fellowship with others if you're walking in light. He said it right here. Jesus was full of grace and truth. John 1.14 when we walk in the light, the natural outcome is fellowship and, and not friendship with others. Our flesh gets crucified in the truth. And what I mean by that is if you go down to Galatians 5.24, it says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And that word comes from the same root word as to impale on a cross. The same thing that happened to Jesus. That's what your flesh is supposed to do when you come to him. And those who come to Christ have crucified the flesh. The problem is we keep resurrecting it instead of just letting it die. And you can let it die. And of course, I, I'm not saying you should be perfect from the moment that you get saved. What I'm saying is you have access to perfection. 
from the moment you get saved. And the goal now is to be discipled into that likeness so that everything that he's created you to be will not be tarnished or limited in any way. And so why does that matter? Because if you, if you do resurrect your flesh, you won't have a dynamic relationship with Christ. I just went through a season the last few months where my flesh was very engaged. And you know what? I didn't have a very dynamic relationship with Christ. It was very difficult. So whenever you... I love it when somebody laughs at me. But the natural outflow of relationship with Jesus is relationship with others, and that is how we create community. And here's the danger of some prophetic words is that it takes the place of your relationship with God. I'm getting ready to. Because it makes you think everything's okay. And you disengage and you get quiet. If you need a prophetic word, listen to my words. If you need a prophetic word for your relationship with God, you don't have much relationship. If you get a word or want a word, that's fine. If you need one, you're in trouble. Because what you're saying is, I'm not close enough to get a word from him. I need somebody else to do it for me. And that's a dangerous place. And I'm all for the prophetic. I'm all for all the gifts. I want to see them all working in all of us. And the scriptures are clear. There's a prophetic office. Everyone in the New Testament can prophesy different kind of prophecies. And that's all great. But it's so easy to slip into just getting a word and not doing anything. Except feeling better about yourself and going back to YouTube. You know I can't watch YouTube now for a month or so until we get through this. And once our relationship with God is right, we will desire a relationship with other believers, which will create true community. Again, 1 John 1.7. This is a quote from uh, Barbara Brown Taylor from a Celtic prayer guide. She said, what we have most in common is not religion but humanity. I learned this from my religion, which also teaches me that encountering another human being is as close to God as I may ever get, which is where God's beloved has promised to show up. Paradoxically, the point is not to see him. The point is to see the person standing right in front of me who has no substitute, who can never be replaced, whose heart holds things of which there is no language, whose life is an unsolved mystery. The moment I turn that person into a character in my own story, the encounter is over. I've stopped being human and become a fiction writer. And what she's saying is the importance of people is so great that you should see him through them. You're created in his image. When you have an encounter with somebody, you should never judge, speculate, and put them into what you think they are. You're to look at them as someone created by God who has such uniqueness and such vast, uh, there's a word, uh, complexity. 
That was too big a word for me to use on Sunday morning. Um, so, what, so what do we do? Because we've talked about community a lot and what it looks like in Acts, but we need to get there. So I've written down four things that we need to do or we need to uh, be aware of. First, we have to be engaged in the life of others. Don't make assumptions deeper than friendship. And you need to ask yourself, are you trustworthy and safe for other people? There's nothing worse than me telling somebody something and then it shows up on Facebook. That's not trustworthy or safe. Fortunately, I didn't say anything bad. Two, we have to have shared values. You can't walk with people who don't hold your values. It's impossible. You'll, you'll gravitate to the value, your, your own set of values, but in, in the kingdom, we have values. Look at Jesus. Adhere to who he is, and he'll adjust your values. But you've got to hold them. They're not values if they change. They're conveniences. Number three, we have to walk in integrity. Harvey Mackey is a businessman and a journalist, and he said this, if you have integrity, nothing else matters. If you don't have integrity, nothing else matters. You can't compromise that. Because once you've compromised your integrity, you don't have it anymore. You've compromised it. So do what you say in Psalm 15, uh, which talks about who can stand on, on God's holy mountain and on his hill. It's at, at verse 4, the second part, it says, He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Which means if you've said it, you either do it or ask to get out of it. You don't just ignore it. Because every time you do that, you compromise your integrity. And we all know people that when they tell us something, we say, ah, we'll see. It's never happened before. When you come in, could you... <laughs> It was just too easy. It was like a softball underhand shot. Uh, and four, we have to be transparent with each other. All relationships are built on trust. And we must, we have to, the mature have to risk hurt to draw in the less mature. Because they're never going to grow and learn to trust unless you have taught them how to trust. Especially people who have been hurt. And it's okay to be hurt. And it's okay not to have it all together. It's okay to be a complete mess but you have to be trustworthy enough that when they sh that you have exposed yourself to the point that they will share it and then you guard it with your life and don't they can't pull it out of you and then we'll begin to have community so always seek unity not division you know uh, I already told you that okay self-reflection personal inventory and cleansing of the body is preparation for us to get ready for more turmoil. Okay. Self-reflection. I'm not talking about introspection, where you're doing the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm saying self-reflection, personal inventory, and cleansing of the body, or, or crucif continually crucifying the flesh, is preparation for us to get ready for greater times of turmoil, not to get ready for prosperity. It's so that you, you are continually looking more and more like him so that when it gets worse, you're still okay. He's promised to be with you, never leave you. He's going to watch out for you. It can't, 
always be about us. It can't always be, well, if you do this, you're going to have a great life. Some will, some won't. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with preparing yourself in relationship with him, in community, to be ready for anything so that when the shaking starts, you won't be shaken. Until, I mean, we're not going to need any of this in heaven. We're not going to need it. I think Pastor Tim said it last week. We're going to get there and go, <laughs> there he is. That's it. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. We'll wrap up here. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. And at the end of verse 12, it says, a threefold cord is not easily broken. So I just want to ask you a couple questions, and then we'll pray. Is life speaking louder to you than truth? Just think on that. Is your, are your circumstances in life speaking much louder than the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus? Because your, your head's always going to try to rationalize what your heart wants. In 1 Corinthians 14.8, it says, If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Because we're giving off confusing messages.